Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, We Believe in Original Sin and Total Depravity. Today on Words of Grace, we come to message four in our recent series on the standard statement of faith as held by primitive Baptist churches and Baptist churches of history. I won't go into as much of the history of that today, just for the sake of not being repetitious, but we're presently considering two different strands of the standard articles of faith of our Primitive Baptist churches today, statements that were common to just about all Baptists of the 18th through the early 20th centuries in the United States. I've taken two statements of faith to compare and consider in this series for you on the radio, and I do this to present a full scope of Baptist theology, what we used to believe almost universally as Baptists in the United States, and again, what old school or primitive Baptists believe today. And these two statements of faith that we're contrasting, comparing with each other are the statements of Flint River Primitive Baptist Church, which was established in 1808 and is considered the oldest Baptist church in the state of Alabama, and also Ebenezer Primitive Baptist Church, which was established in 1868 and was the church where I was raised, the church that I grew up attending. Our focus today has to do with the concept of total depravity. We'll be considering Articles 4 and 5 from Flint River's Statement of Faith, but only Article 4 from Ebenezer's Statement of Faith, as it effectively combines both points into one. Now, before we share these two statements with you, the theological position in Flint River's Articles of Faith and the position in Ebenezer's Articles of Faith, I concede that this is a very sad truth. This is an unfortunate truth. This is something that's shameful. This is something that is negative. But a sad fact is no less true than something that is happy or joyful. And as sad as this concept is, original sin, the fall of man, total depravity, we have something in Christ that we can rejoice in now and for all of eternity because Jesus has saved us from this sin. Jesus has saved us from our total depravity. But total depravity is a biblical fact nonetheless. Articles 4 and 5 in the Statement of Faith of Flint River Primitive Baptist Church say, we believe in the doctrine of original sin. That's Article 4 in our Statement of Faith. Article 5 says we believe in man's impotency to recover himself from the fallen state he is in by nature, by his own free will and ability. Now, I said that Ebenezer's statement combines both of these in one, and this is the wording that you find in more primitive Baptist churches in today's time. This wording seems to come from the late 1800, whereas the Statement of Faith of Flint River comes from the late 1700s. We believe in the doctrine of original sin and man's impotency to recover himself from the fallen state he is in by nature, by his own free will. So you see, these are nearly identical. Only Flint River's statement of faith divides them into two, Articles 4 and 5, whereas Ebenezer combines them into one. 
That said, we do find an extra clause at the end of Flint River's statement of faith. If you paid attention as I read those, the words and ability find themselves at the end of statement five. And so, whereas Ebenezer's statement, as many articles of faith are, will simply stop by saying that man is impotent to recover himself from the fallen state he is in by nature by his own free will— Flint Rivers' statement of faith include the words and ability, which is to basically communicate the same thought. This isn't a disagreement or a difference in position. It's just to use more words to express the same thing. So let's put these together and express this thought that we want to share with you today. We believe in the doctrine of original sin in man's impotency to recover himself from the fallen state that he is in by nature, by his own free will and ability. So these passages basically affirm a theological concept that we refer to as the total depravity of mankind. Technically, we should make a distinction between original sin and total depravity, as some orders of faith hold to the first, original sin, but they don't hold to the second. And so they would say that because of the sin of Adam, we're all sinners, but they would deny that man is impotent to rescue himself from the fallen state he is in by nature. Now, regardless of what orders of faith believe, what people believe, and what we have written in various statements of faith, or even larger confessions of faith, what we read in the Bible is to be our only rule of faith and practice, as we discussed at great length in the second message in this series. And so what we will see today from Scripture is that both of these concepts are biblical. Original sin is a biblical concept, and because of original sin, because we fell in Adam— We are impotent to recover ourselves from this fallen state that we're in by nature by our own free will and ability. We are quite literally, as we will emphasize in a moment, dead in trespasses and in sins, and being dead, we can do nothing. Dead men have no power to do anything. And so today we emphasize both original sin, something that most Christians believe, but also total depravity, something that generally only those who believe in predestination believe. First of all, we believe in original sin, the fourth article of faith of Flint River and the very first part of the more modern statement of faith that you find in Ebenezer. And it's funny that I would say more modern when it dates to the late 1800s, but this is the way that it's generally been worded from that time forward in the statements of faith of our churches. We believe in original sin. That is, explaining what we mean by that, through the sin of Adam— all became sinners, both by nature, but also by practice. And the way that I just worded that is important. We are sinners, both by nature, but also by practice. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners, as we will see today. And this comes from the what? The original sin of Adam. We call it original sin that is a funny term. It might be confusing to you today because we live in a very watered-down, mile-wide, and half-inch deep Christianity. But original sin simply means the sin of Adam. We are all sinners, not just by practice, but by nature. And this nature of sin is something that we have through the original sin of Adam all the way back in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time. 
Now, just a word on that statement that we are sinners both by nature but also by practice. It is about impossible not to practice one's nature. It is, after all, your nature. After the new birth, we have two natures. We have the nature of the flesh, and we have the nature of the Spirit. We've been made partakers of the divine nature, and these two are always at war within each other so that we cannot do the things that we would. We struggle with sin in this world because we still have the nature of the flesh, but we have the nature of the Spirit, and there's a constant battle between these two natures, and we're commanded to mortify one through the other, to put this nature of the flesh to death through the nature of the Spirit, but it never goes away. It never fully dies. And so, as Paul said, I die daily. We have to take up our crosses, a symbol of execution daily, to put to death this nature of the flesh. But it's about impossible not to practice one's nature, especially, listen very clearly, if given time and opportunity. An oak tree might be killed as a sprout, and so it will never produce an acorn. But if you let it grow, it will produce acorns. If you let that oak tree grow, it's eventually going to produce and drop its acorns. It's going to produce its leaves. It's going to produce its bark. Why? Because that's its nature. All humans are sinners because of Adam's original transgression. And if we live long enough in this world, that sin that is within us that is our nature, it is going to very vividly and despicably manifest itself in our lives. I don't believe that I have to demonstrate that to anybody. I don't believe I have to prove that to anybody. If you let a person live long enough, the sin in them is going to manifest itself. Commonly, Christians today believe in something like the age of accountability and infant purity, But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that, as we will see in a moment, we're shapen in iniquity. It teaches that we come forth from the womb speaking lies. And it paints a very awful picture of our morals and ethics and behavior prior to knowing Christ. Humans are not basically good only to choose evil because of negative circumstances or cultural programming. Humans are basically evil who only truly bear good fruit if God has given them a new nature through the new birth. And all of this dates back to original sin. Now, as far as original sin, we know where the original sin occurred. We know whose sin it was. We can turn back to Genesis chapter 3. We can read where the serpent beguiled Eve. She was beguiled, but Adam willingly disobeyed God. He takes of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He ate of that fruit. Eve ate in verse 6. She gave it to her husband. He ate. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And here the Lord shows up. And when the Lord shows up, he gives three curses. He gives one to the serpent, he gives one to Eve, and he gives another to Adam. He tells Eve that she's going to conceive in sorrow, and her desire shall be to her husband. He tells Adam that he's going to eat of this fruit of this world by the sweat of his face, and he would labor and toil in great difficulty because of his sin. This world was even cursed for his sake, and it would bring forth thorns and thistles. 
I suppose if you're being technical, that could be considered a fourth curse, one upon the ground, but that's a byproduct of Adam's transgression. That was caused by Adam, and that curse affected Adam. It was for the difficulty of Adam as a judgment against him. God speaks to the serpent, he speaks to Eve, and he speaks to Adam. That is the origin of sin, and because of that original sin, all human beings are born into the world as sinners. Now, if you read the creation account, you know that when God created man, he created man, male and female. This word man in Scripture sometimes translates from Adam, and this word Adam literally has reference to mankind. God made Adam, mankind, male and female, and man was made in the image of God. When God created Adam, he was in the image of God, and there are so many implications and applications of that, at minimum, that Adam was a rational being with consciousness unlike any of the other creatures who was capable of appreciation and love and creativity and with a will of his own to execute and to choose in this world what he would do. God made him a special creation made in God's own image. But listen, Adam sinned. You just read that in Genesis 3 and verse 6. Adam sins. He falls short of the glory of God, and he mars this image. He pollutes this image. He corrupts this image. Notice in Genesis 5, when Adam and Eve begin having children, Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his own image and called his name Seth. This is one of the many, many children Adam and Eve had. They didn't just have the three, Cain, Abel, and Seth. They had countless children. You had the most perfect specimen of a male and female together married in one place. They had lots of children. But notice when Adam has children. All the way back in Genesis 5, the Bible includes this note that these children were made in his image. Seth was made after Adam's own likeness, after Adam's image, and he calls his name Seth. That's communicating to us that in whatever state Adam was in, at the moment of his children's conception, their children were also conceived in that state, if that makes sense, if you follow what I say. So Adam became a sinner In Genesis 3, when Adam has children, those children were born in Adam's image, after Adam's likeness. Not just that they look like him, but morally and ethically, they are sinful and they are depraved. Romans chapter 5 is a great passage to go to to simply demonstrate and depict this. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. This entire chapter talks about the fact that death has reigned by one man's disobedience, one man's offense. You see that in verse 17. This is why David would say in the 51st Psalm that he was shapen in iniquity and conceived in sin. David writes this psalm, after his sin with Bathsheba, as he's lamenting what he's done, as his eyes have been opened to how he has displeased God, and he is experiencing and has experienced the chastening of God, and he's begging for restoration. He's begging for the assurance of his salvation as he's lost the joy of God's salvation. But one of the things that he said in that particular psalm is that he was 
shapen in iniquity, he was conceived in sin. That's verse 5 of Psalm 51. When David says that he was conceived in sin, that doesn't mean his mother was sinning or his father was sinning when he was conceived. He's saying that he is conceived in a state of sin. You see, David's mother and father were descendants of Adam. David is a descendant of Adam. All of us are descendants of Adam. And as we are conceived, as our parents conceive us, we're conceived in a state of sin. By the way, this is one of the great reasons why the Lord Jesus Christ had to be born of a virgin. Jesus had to be born of a virgin, not merely as a sign, but for him to be a suitable Savior, a suitable substitution to stand in our place and suffer the vengeance and the wrath that we deserve, though innocent, he had to be literally conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And so the virgin birth and the incarnation, all of that is required because of original sin. The Lord could not be any other man, any other human being, if he were to save us from our sins. And so God took up human flesh. He came into this world to bleed and die for us, being completely innocent, untainted by sin, untainted by the original sin of Adam. And as we'll see in a moment, the Bible, because of this, actually calls him the last Adam. But we'll come to that in a moment. David here in Psalm 51 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David, from the moment of his conception, was a sinner because of the original sin of Adam. And so, to summarize what we've said to you thus far, because of the sin of Adam, we are all conceived in sin. We are all shapen in iniquity. Sin passed upon all men. We know we're all sinners through Adam because all of us will die. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wrath of God against all unrighteousness of men is revealed from heaven in that we all die. So why is this the case? Why is this the reality? There's a couple of things that you should know about the original sin of Adam. First of all, we died in Adam. We became sinners in Adam because he was our federal head and he represented us in the garden just as much as Jesus Christ is the federal head of his people and represented them on the cross. The concept of headship is biblical. This is something that is expressly biblical and exists in various institutions in the world. We call this federal headship. A husband is the head of his household, not the wife, not the children, not the grandparents, but the husband. Every husband answers directly to Christ for his behavior, his oversight in the home, and frankly, men, that ought to make us terrified. Christ is the great head of the church. He governs it, he leads it, it belongs to him, and even comparing it with marriage, we are unto him a bride, and husband's ought to love their own brides as Christ has loved the church. Adam is the federal head over all of his people. Every single person who came from Adam was represented by Adam as their federal head in the Garden of Eden. Now, Christ is also a federal head, as we just said a moment ago. He's the federal head of his people. He represented them upon the cross. I want you to think about this for a moment. You don't do anything to make Adam your federal head, do you? He was your federal head in the Garden of Eden, and what he did affected you 
in the Garden of Eden before you even had a say in the matter. Now, I insist from the perspective of sovereign grace, as I understand it in this word, that it is the same way between Christ and his people in their salvation. He represented his people upon the cross of Calvary as their federal head without their say, before their say. He represented them, and he did something that forever affects them as their federal head. As Adam rebelled and sinned unto death, so did Christ obey and die for sins he didn't commit unto life. All in Adam died because of the transgression of Adam, but all in Christ shall be made alive because of the obedience of Christ. Now, there's another reason that we need to emphasize as we consider the original sin and the fact that sin passed upon all men. We were yet in the loins of Adam. We are Adam. You and I are Adam. That word has reference to the race of humanity in addition to the man who lived in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis at the beginning of time. We are Adam, and we were yet in his loins, as it were, when he sinned. And so when he sinned, we were there sinning with him in a sense. And that phrase, in a sense, is one of the most important phrases a preacher can use. We were there in a sense, in that we were yet in his loins. And I get this notion from the book of Hebrews. Paul in Hebrews uses the fact that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek to show that the Levitical priesthood was inferior to Christ's priesthood because the Levites were in Abraham's loins when he tithes to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek was of the same order of priesthood as Christ. Now, that's very complicated, and it would be the subject of a radio broadcast all by itself to really dig into that and extrapolate everything I could share with you out of that. But the writer of Hebrews, whom I believe to be the Apostle Paul, goes to great lengths to talk about the superiority of the priesthood of Christ because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and Christ was of the same order of priesthood as Melchizedek. If the Levites were in Abraham's loins, showing Melchizedek's superiority over Abraham and thereby Christ's superiority over the Levites, then, frankly, we were in the loins of Adam when he sinned. We are culpable. We were there. We are nothing but Adam multiplied. You and I are Adam. Now, by the way, regarding Christ as our federal head, this is why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 refers to him as the last Adam. If you thought the Bible was all just boring, simple genealogies and little fable-type moral lessons, you have another thing coming. You better think again. Because some of the most complex arguments since you can find in the world were made in the Bible about some of these theological concepts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45, So it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Who is that last Adam? The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is one of these federal head figures like Adam was a federal head figure. And Neither can be true if both are not true, because you have the first Adam and you have the last Adam. One represented his people unto death, the other represented his people unto life. In one, all of his people died. In another, all of his people shall be made alive. Now, let's look at the last statement in these articles. Man's impotency to recover himself from the fallen state he is in by nature, by his own free will and ability. 
Both statements express man's impotency to rescue himself from his fallen state that he's in by nature. The word impotent means powerless, while God is omnipotent, omni meaning all and potent meaning power, man is impotent. Man has no power, specifically, to rescue himself from his fallen state. And so the natural man is powerless to rescue himself. Notice this isn't merely saying that he's unable to atone for himself. Many Christians would agree with that, that it took the work of Christ. In fact, I don't think you can be a Christian in belief without believing in the atonement of Christ, doing something that you could not do for yourself. That's literally the purpose in being a Christian. This says that we believe that man is unable to rescue himself from his fallen state. That's more than merely a statement about justification, but it's a statement about regeneration as well. Our fallen state is not just our condemnation, but our present sinfulness. What is man prior to regeneration? He's alive physically, but he's dead in trespasses and in sins. Read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you hath he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and in sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by what? By nature, the children of wrath, even as others. So before salvation, by nature, we were dead in trespasses and in sins, and we were children of wrath, even as others, who had a lifestyle, a conversation, a lifestyle in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. But God, who's rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, as quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. By nature, the child of wrath, even as others. That's what we were. As a child of wrath by nature, we are natural men, and we are perishing. Therefore, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we cannot receive the gospel because it is foolishness unto us, For them that perish, consider the gospel foolish. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. And so we believe that we are powerless to rescue ourselves, because rescuing ourselves is literally to raise ourselves from the dead, to quicken us, to regenerate us, to give us new birth. No, God must rescue us. God must quicken us. God must give regeneration. God must give spiritual birth and spiritual resurrection. Whichever metaphor you want to use for the vital phase of salvation, God must be the active party. And if you believe in Jesus, it's because his resurrecting power has raised your soul from death in sin to life in Christ. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Salvation is truly by God's grace. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. As Second Timothy 1 says, we were saved and called with a holy calling which was given us in his grace before the world began. Salvation is by his grace. He rescues us from our depravity that we inherited through the original sin of Adam by his grace. I'll close my thoughts today by A simple reading of a couple of beloved passages. The first one is Romans chapter 9, 
and verse 16, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. The will is indicative of desire, and running is indicative of action. And so it is not of our desires or our actions that we are saved, but it is of God who shows mercy, and he will show mercy on whom he will have mercy, and he will have compassion on whom he will have compassion, Romans 9.15. And lastly, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, which simply says, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Before I can work for God, he must work a work in me. He has to rescue us. And if you're a person who believes in Jesus, this is all the evidence you need that you have been rescued from the fallen state you were in by nature. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received today's broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to... Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.